0: Hey, we're so glad that you're with us for part 2 of Just Like Jonah. You know, something I've noticed is that lots of people think the story of Jonah is fictional, a, a children's story, a fable, a, a myth, a legend, a big fish tale. But the book of Jonah tells us a true story that really happened. Researchers date the book of Jonah around 765 B.C., during the days, the reign of Jeroboam II, king of Israel. It's true. It really happened, just as it was written. But the sad reality is that most people think the story of Jonah has nothing to do with them. We tend to think it's about a guy who refuses to be a missionary. He didn't want to go where God wanted him to go, and so he tries to run away. We think... That it's only about the world's worst missionary. And we discount its application into our lives. But friends, God is speaking to all of us through the book of Jonah. And we will see that we are just like Jonah in so many ways. Jonah was a prophet of God. And we pick up the story where the Lord gave this message to Jonah. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Nineveh was the capital of the empire of Assyria. It was the world superpower of the day. And when God said that Nineveh was wicked, oh man, he wasn't kidding. Assyria was one of the most violent empires in all of ancient history. You can Google it and read about it yourself. This empire had been the enemy and a threat uh, for Israel for many years. So Jonah hated the Assyrians but he was also afraid of them. So God told Jonah, "Go to Nineveh," but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Now, Nineveh was about 50 I'm sorry, 500 miles east while Tarshish was about 2000 miles west. So basically God was saying, Jonah, go east. And Jonah said, nope, I'm going as far west as I can. Why? It says that Jonah bought a ticket and went on board, look at this, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. See, Jonah was running away from what God wanted him to do. Sometimes, oftentimes, God will allow us to go where we choose to go in sin in disobedience he does that so that we have to face the consequences of our own disobedience his response is not always to stop us right away sometimes God says hey if you want to go there if you want to do what you're doing I'm not going to stop you see I think that's what the apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 1 Paul says God let them go their sinful way But the question is, how far um, will God allow us to go in sin? How long will God allow us to go? Now, I I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that if God didn't care, he would let us go on and on and on in our sin forever. But see, God does care. Come on, say that with me. God does care. He does. And we're going to see that today. that, That Jonah tried to run away from God. And, and, and then God was this kind of God that said, I'm not going to let you go. One verse earlier, we, we read that, that it was but Jonah. He, it, it says that, but Jonah, as he ran away. But now God responds, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. I love that phrase, but the Lord. But, but the Lord, God intervenes to accomplish his purposes. I, mean, I think that's an expression of grace. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But I think that's an expression of God's grace. God wasn't going to let Jonah continue down this path. It says that the Lord hurled. Man, I love that word, hurled. God just hurled. He chucked a powerful wind that caused a violent storm. This storm was not a coincidence. It was sent by God. This should make us very aware of something, that God will do whatever necessary to accomplish his plan and purpose in your life and in my life. He's going to do whatever necessary to accomplish his plan, his purpose. God is so determined to accomplish his plan in our lives that he will do anything necessary. God is so committed to us that he won't leave us alone. God cares about us so much that he won't let us stay the way we are. God loves us so much, too much, to leave us where we are in our lives right now. Hang on, I want to throw a big thought to you here. What we see in this text is what's called the discipline of a loving father. See, God is actually disciplining Jonah. Now, I know we think that discipline is a bad thing, but the writer of Hebrews gives us a a different look at discipline. Take a look. He tells us the Lord disciplines those he loves. Don't miss that. In fact, he goes on and he says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. And then he finishes this off. He says, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are not really his children at all. God disciplines those he loves. Now listen, God loves you. God wants the best for your life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's not just a cliche. That's not just a saying, a phrase. That is a truth. That's a fact. That he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And listen, God will bring the storm. If we disregard his word in our life, he will bring the storm. God will wreck our plans. If we ignore him and continue to do our own thing, he will wreck our plans. If necessary, in loving discipline as our heavenly father, I believe that God will actually sink your ship rather than allow you to continue to run away from him. God responds fiercely because he takes disobedience and sin seriously. And the disobedience of one person puts everyone else at risk. Take a look. Verse 5, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. These were expert sailors these were professional sailors and when you think about it sailors wages their pay was based on depending on getting their cargo from one place to another and if they threw their cargo overboard guess what they're not going to get paid they would usually take storms like this in stride but but not this one This was a violent storm. It scared them enough to force them to throw away their paycheck, to throw away their salary in hopes of saving their life because a paycheck is no good to a dead man, right? So these sailors are panicked. All hell is breaking loose on on deck. But all this time, verse 5 says, all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. He was asleep. You know, there are people who are involved in storms all around us, all around you, all around me. And far too often, we as Jesus followers, we, we are asleep in life. We don't take notice of the people that are around us. We are oblivious to what people are going through around us. We are asleep as they go through and battle the storms of life. We are asleep and they wonder, hey, I thought you were a Christian. I need your help. How can you be doing nothing at a time like this? Are you asleep when your neighbors and your coworkers or family members are are going through storms in life? Jonah is completely out of touch with reality. He's apathetic and pathetic. But the ship's crew, they were keenly aware of their circumstances. And so the captain went down after Jonah, went to talk with him. And this is what the captain asked him. How can you sleep at a time like this? Oh, man, what a good word. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted this to Jonah. and Look what he says next. Don't miss this. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Huh. You know, if you're a Jesus follower like I am, we need to take this as a rebuke. I mean, we're not gonna be able to ignore reality forever. Here we are facing COVID-19 in our world, in our homes, in our cities, in our nation. Here we are facing... Injustice and hatred and racism and violence in our cities and in our culture and in our nation. We have whole cities that are being affected. We have businesses that are being affected. We have men, women, boys, and girls that are being affected by these things. And what are Jesus followers doing? You know what we're doing? We're spending our time complaining and talking and arguing and bad mouthing and getting angry and getting frustrated and posting on social media and watching news and scrolling through. Through Facebook and Instagram, we're spending all of our time on things like this. When all along, you know what we need to do? We need to get up and pray to our God. That's what we need to do. This week, God spoke to me so strongly. And I felt rebuked. I felt challenged by him. It was based on a scripture in 2 Chronicles 7.14. where where God started talking to me and he said, Bart, all you're doing is complaining and and being frustrated and scrolling and posting and all of this stuff. And God said to me, what if you spent as much time, you you doing all of that, what if you spent that much time praying? Wouldn't that make more difference? And so this week, I called Pathway Church. Many of you have Got my uh, video text on this. I've called our church, Pathway Church, to a 714 prayer focus. I've asked us to pray seven days a week, 14 minutes a day, asking God to hear our prayers and heal our nation. Church, listen to me, church. Our world is broken, our world is hurting. Now is not the time to be asleep. We have got to get up and pray to our God and maybe he will heal our land. Everyone else in this story is praying, but not Jonah. The pagan sailors, they're they're crying out to their gods, but Jonah never once calls out to God. It's interesting, we're gonna talk next week about Jonah chapter two, where Jonah ends up praying eventually. But right now, he's not praying. You know why he's not praying? Because Jonah was living in disobedience and he knew he was. See, friends, when we are living in disobedience to God, one of the hardest things to do is pray. You know why? Because in prayer, you face the God that you are disobeying. Jonah wasn't doing anything. He wasn't praying. The crew determined that the storm was a judgment against someone on board. And so it says in verse seven that the crew cast lots. It's kind of an ancient way of throwing dice, figuring out, making decisions. They cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. <laughs> Isn't that great? Jonah is singled out. If he wasn't going to admit it, God was going to cause the lots to point his way. Jonah is singled out as the one who is responsible. This isn't the fault of the pagan crew. No, no, no. This is the fault of the God follower, Jonah. I wonder how many things in our world is not the fault of pagans, but it's the fault of Christians. Christians not doing what they're supposed to do. So they questioned Jonah. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Now don't forget, the storm is still raging and they're asking Jonah all of these, you know, 20 questions trying to find out. Ship's breaking apart and they're asking him all these questions and Jonah answers them. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. When you see Lord in caps like that in the English text, it's referring to the name Yahweh, the covenant God. He says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Jonah tells him the people he is from. He tells him the name of his God. He tells him that God created everything and that he is very capable of causing a storm like this if he chooses (laughs) and this freaks the crew out even more the sailors are terrified now when they heard this for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord and look at what they say oh why why did you do it Why did you run away? Why did you get on board our ship? Why have you caused this on us? They thought that they would have escaped the the, the crisis by throwing their cargo overboard, but now all hope is lost, all hope is gone because God is punishing someone on their boat and now they know who it is. Can you feel this tension? And since the storm was getting worse, verse 11, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? What can we do to save our lives? We, we don't want to die for something that we haven't done. Jonah says, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know, don't miss this, I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Hmm. First time he admits it. Everybody's freaking out. And finally, Jonah says, This is my fault. All of this, it's on me. You know, some of us might be realizing this kind of thing in our own lives. You've been thinking, Ah, I'm having this private rebellion. What I'm doing isn't affecting anybody around me. I'm just not doing what God is wanting me to do, but that's okay. You know, I'm just living my life and it's okay. Don't kid yourself. Come on, man. You, you know your sin affects everyone around you. Your disobedience, your, your rebellion, your sin affects everyone around you. It's about time that you realize this. If you're not doing what God is telling you to do, you are affecting everyone in your life. I mean, Jonah finally owns up to it. He says, "It's all my fault all my fault. Jonah knew this storm was directed right at him, and Jonah says, okay, throw me overboard into the sea. Jonah doesn't care if he's going to live or die. In fact, worse yet, Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. He'd rather die than do what God is asking him to do. Throwing a man into a storm like this was, was giving him a death sentence. They were putting him to death. So instead, these sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to put this guy to death. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And what the pagan sailors do next oh, man, this is amazing. It's something that, that Jonah didn't do. In verse 14, we read Then they, the sailors, they cried out to the Lord Jonah's God. The Hebrew, God-following Jonah, didn't pray to his God. Wasn't even talking to his God. He was running from his God. And the pagan sailors, no, they cried out to Jonah's God. Earlier, they'd cried out to their gods. Now, they're crying out to the true God. Look at what they say. Oh, Lord, they plead, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Before they throw Jonah overboard, they pray to Jonah's God. They they know that God is in control of the storm. They don't want him to hold them accountable for Jonah's death. And then it says the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. And there was calm. Verse 16 tells us that the sailors were so awestruck by the Lord's great power that they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. They had a spiritual experience, even though Jonah was having nothing to do with God. And what about Jonah? Did he get what he wanted? I mean, he was... He was tossed overboard, he was running away from God, and now maybe he was tossed overboard to die, and it was the ultimate runaway, right? Nope, God wasn't gonna let Jonah off the hook that easy. Verse 17, I love this verse, I love this story, look at this. Now the Lord had, what's that word? Arranged. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The writer is telling us in advance, he's telling us Jonah doesn't die. He's giving us the spoiler alert here. He doesn't die in the belly of the fish. He's gonna be there three days and three nights. But you know what? Jonah doesn't know this. And we're gonna see next week in chapter two. He doesn't know this and he's panicked. Oh, by the way too, did you know that this great fish had a name? I bet you don't know what the name of this fish. This big fish had a name. It's, it's called grace. Grace. The Bible tells us that grace is the unmerited favor of God. Think about it. Jonah had thrown himself overboard. I mean, that's basically what he did. This is, this is suicide by being thrown overboard. And God, in his... Amazing grace showed up and provided a big fish to swallow Jonah so that he wouldn't drown. All too often we see this big fish as a negative thing in Jonah's life. Oh, no, 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 no. This was God's grace, this was God's saving grace. The big fish is a clear example of the grace of God being shown to Jonah so that Jonah would get back on track with the plan and purposes of God. We're going to talk more about that in part three next week. You don't want to miss it. Today, I want to leave you with four words, though. You already saw them. But the Lord had arranged. The Lord had arranged. Hmm. Interesting words. That, That word arranged in our English text, comes from an an original Hebrew word that means to prepare in advance, to set up in place. It's kind of like our word arranged, but but it refers to more of being in advance, um, being prepared in advance, uh, planning in advance, orchestrating in advance. It makes me think of a really popular passage of scripture that I, I, I would say that most Christ followers know. Jeremiah 29, 11. Take a look. The prophet Jeremiah is speaking for the Lord. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. You know, when we read this passage, we focus in on the, the good part and not the disaster. We focus in on the future and, and the hope. But I think we miss the most important part. For I know, God says, I know the plans I have. Don't miss that. God has plans. God has plans for you, for me. God is a strategic God. He is an advanced planner. He has laid down an exact plan for your life down to the smallest details God knows where you need to be. God knows when you need to be there. God knows who needs to be a part of your life in order for you to experience all that he has planned for your life. Friends, listen, we really need to realize that God will do whatever necessary to accomplish his plans and purpose in your life, in my life. Have you ever played chess? I have a chess board that um, I've had since high school. Actually, I think I got it when I was in eighth grade. It's been with us a long time. And the interesting thing about chess is when you play chess, you, you have to think ahead. In fact, in order to win chess, you need to be thinking three or four moves in advance from your opponent. Now, in the day, I was pretty good I used to play all the time. I haven't played so, so much lately, but I used to play a lot. And uh, I, I can remember in the, the, the game of thinking ahead, of, of thinking out the options that my opponent would do, how he would move. Not that I would react to his one move, but I would be thinking two and three moves ahead so that I would know what to do now. That's called advanced planning, advanced preparation. You know, when you think about Jonah's experience, when you think about what God was doing in Jonah's life, it's kind of like watching a chess match between God and Jonah, right? I mean, God speaks to Jonah and he says, go to Nineveh. So Jonah responds by sailing to tarshish god responds <laughs> by uh, sending a storm and jonah responds by being thrown overboard hopefully to die and then god responds by sending a big fish to swallow him jonah don't play chess with God. He's going to outmove you every time. And that should be a word for us today. Friends, are you trying to outmaneuver God? Are you trying to play chess with God? I got to tell you, God, he's going to win every time. Because God will do Whatever necessary to accomplish his plans and his purpose in your life.